Hello and welcome to WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio and Dateline New Haven. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines that make our community tick. Today's another edition of Headlines and Baselines. Stories from the New Haven Independent and other media outlets about New Haven. A little commentary on them and then some music inspired by the news. Well, the big story in New Haven has been, is broken by Laura Glesby at the Independent with Tom Breen as she's still all over it. Really interesting story. Here's what the official headlines have been so far. Official placed on leave after reporting, quote, questionable, close quote, immigrant marriages to feds. Second headline. State emails the city, colon, report, quote, suspicious, close quote, immigrant marriages. Here's a big story in New Haven for a whole bunch of reasons. We have a register our vital statistics, usually kind of a boring office in City Hall. You go there, birth certificates, death certificates, you get your marriage license. Turned out that in the last year, the person who runs the office has decided she doesn't think a lot of marriages are legit involving immigrants, including undocumented immigrants. She's been suspicious of them, and she doesn't want to give them a license. And a lot of them ended up showing up in East Haven, of all places, because they couldn't get their license in New Haven. So I thought that was an immediate alternate headline that came to my mind was, Immigrants Flee Hostile New Haven Government to East Haven. The reason I thought of that headline was, New Haven became a sanctuary city officially for years ago, but unofficially in 2006, and we led the nation in part on how to welcome immigrants to our community with an immigrant-friendly ID card so they could open bank accounts and have ID to a police general order. It doesn't allow police to ask about, in almost all cases, the immigration status of people they stop. As a result, we thrived in New Haven. We had, as we have in other parts in our history, we got an economic boost and a communal boost from people who came here and wanted to be here and brought their traditions and also worked hard and built up our neighbors, especially in Fairhaven. Fairhaven's a different place from what it was, a much better place in the 80s because of that. But that had happened in other ways of immigration with Italian immigrants, Irish immigrants, uh, Jewish immigrants, you know, 100 years earlier. And East Haven was always the hostile to immigrant city. The U.S. Justice Department came home and it took an, did an investigation and criminally charged the cops for how much they harassed immigrants to try to drive them out of town, the illegal ways they set them up on crimes they didn't commit. And they had a, a consent decree and a new police chief. And yet it was East Haven where the immigrants were going. Now, of course, the comp- story's more complicated. It's not like East Haven wanted to have people they call the illegals in a very nasty way. <clears throat> so they contacted the state, said, what's up? New Haven's sending all these people here who they wouldn't give license to because they were demanding two forms of identification, which they don't need to do. So the state health department said, no, they shouldn't be doing two forms of identification. So they gave advice back to New Haven's Registrar of Vital Statistics. The state said, no, you don't need those two kinds of ID. But if you're suspicious, report them to the feds. And here's the office and here's the place you call. Like actually directed them there from a state that's supposed to be welcoming the immigrants. Now, it's problematic on a lot of fronts. You know, in a common sense way to people who are very skeptical of immigration, they say, well, some of these immigration marriages aren't real, which is true, by the way, with non-immigrants too and in every culture. There are sorts of reasons people get married. Okay, some of these don't smell kosher. So what do you do? Well, it's actually not the registrar voter's job to smoke that out. And there's a city ordinance that decrees them not to 
report stuff to the Fed. So it's a violation of that. But this registrar felt caught in the middle. She felt like, but there's also federal law. Turns out federal law doesn't require her to report that. But it's also interesting about the role of New Haven and East Haven. So this is being sussed out. And what I love the best is when this stuff gets revealed by reporters like Laura Gillespie, when government's trying to keep it hidden, then the finger pointing starts. My favorite line in one of Laura's stories was from the spokesperson for the Department of Public Health at the state, Christopher Boyle. So the state has sent an email that told New Haven's registrar that she, quote, should, close quote, report her suspicions to the federal government. And again, that's problematic. How can you, maybe there's a language barrier? She was upset that people couldn't name the other party to the marriage's parents. Like, who knows what that story could be? You come from another country, you're fleeing some situation, you meet someone here, or it could be a language barrier with the registrar and those people. Who knows? I mean, if that's the way, you, suddenly they're an expert on what that proves. You're some kind of police investigator. But in any case, they said should. You should report it. Now, to the common person, that means you should, right? Should means should. That doesn't mean you can think about it. Doesn't mean my advice is, ah, if you want to do it, if you don't want to, don't. It means you should. Should means should. But <laughs> Boyle, in the comment to uh, Laura Gillespie, reminiscent of Bill Clinton saying it depends what is means when he was asked if he was in a sexual relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Um, Boyle actually wrote to Laura Gillespie that should doesn't mean should. He wrote, quote, Words like should and may have specific legal meaning in statute regulations and official department guidance documents. However, when used in informal communication such as email, email, these words may not carry such weight unless the writer has referenced a particular legal authority. That means if the state is giving you guidance and you feel you have to do what the state tells you and an official says you should do something, Boyle means that doesn't mean you should because you should know, and there should does mean should, that maybe you want to talk to a lawyer first. You can't make it up. Well, I just think that, you know, the mayor apologized last night to immigrants about what happened under his watch here, which is, that's even historic, that Justin Elker apologized for something less than three years after he makes a mistake and own it. That, that's pretty remarkable. And, um, so I think the message is from the mayor on down, we welcome immigrants here, we love immigration, we love the new people who wanna be here and work hard to be part of our community. Many of us like me came from, in my case, a grandfather who crossed the border, got to New York from a land of pogroms, built up a better life for him and his kids in New Haven, our ways of immigration that each generation revived our city and gave us new energy and hope and welcome with open arms people to bring their traditions, keep their traditions, and also be part of our broader community. And crossing that border that Aretha Franklin sang about in her cover of Elton John's Border Song.
and going back to the border of my affairs not abused Aretha Franklin covering that great Elton John song border song you know early very early Elton John when he was writing those kind of more gospelly tinged piano driven songs that Bernie Taupin wrote the great lyrics to and then Aretha Franklin took it way to the next step coming out of the gospel tradition brought in the background singers kept that kind of piano and just soared with her amazing vocals got totally into it and that's in honor of the waves that we're going to be continue to welcome in New Haven, despite this latest blip with what happened with that we're still trying to get the bottom of with immigrant marriages and the vertical statistics reporting people, the feds the exact opposite of how we approach immigration in our city of New Haven. You think like in that song about the bravery of people who flee horrible conditions in other countries and come to America seeking hope. And of course there are complicated questions about what are the rules when you let people in? How do you, ensure everybody's safety but by and large the immigration story is a success story of why the united states at least to this point has thrived for centuries as a land of hope and opportunity and diversity that kind of makes us stronger way to go aretha this is headlines and baselines wnhhfm new haven's home for community radio here's another headline from the week this doesn't sound so monumental does of course it is 
Grad union reaches tentative contract with Yale. Someone reached a contract. Yeah. What about peace breaks out? That's my alternative headline. Since 1992, graduate student teachers at Yale have organized to try to get a union. And this happened all over the country where they say we're workers too. We're kind of exploited cheap later by this wealthy university. This happened at Columbia, Harvard, all sorts of campuses. And for most of those years, those 31 years since 1992, they've been marching. They've been out making their case, going hunger strikes, get celebrities to campus, take over Barney Plaza, get the state's leading Democratic politicians to march with them, put the pressure on Yale, call attention. And they kept falling short, not getting enough signatures to be, get a union election. Then they would regroup new strategy. They'd get a partial election, lose that. Win some of it, then lose before the National Labor Relations Board. They kept plugging. And it was always out in public, was always accusing Yale of terrible things. Yale dug their heels in, went back to their anti-union past that got them in such trouble with the dining hall workers and the clerical workers that they eventually lost on and had to follow the law and, and deal with respect to unions. And then something odd happened last year. All of a sudden, the Graduate Student Teachers Union, now called Local 33 of the Federation University Workers, or Unite Here, excuse me, they won, but there was no march right before that. I mean, they were shutting down the streets of New Haven. They were getting national press coverage. All of a sudden, they did nothing. Something happened, and Yale didn't fight them, and they got in. And then even more remarkably, because Yale's history is, okay, if you got the union in, you're going to have to fight again, and we're going to break the law left and right until you make a stop to not negotiate in good faith. They struck a, a, a contract, you know, and it seems pretty good. You know, 15% pay bump, dental care. And right before that, you know, the old tactic is before you reach a contract, you have strikes for pressure. Like, look at the successful strike of the UAW at all the car plants, vehicle plants. There wasn't a peep. And they weren't really putting out any big peep on this. The message got out on X, and Yash Roy, the independence reporter, quickly got it up on the independent with Don Breen, and all of a sudden we found out. But there was no controversy, no march. There's a backstory, not sure what it is, was that Yale's corporation gave up thinking that it wasn't worth the money, that it's not a big enough factor on their bottom line or the publicity. Who knows? Because they used to have this thing, well, if you're not a worker, if you're a student, no one's going to feel sorry for you. That's what they used to say about office workers. You know, the, it used to be women. Now it's more complicated in the primarily in the clerical and technical offices. They say, well, they're not, you know, we have a collegial relationship that'll ruin it with a union. That was bonkers. They were exploited workers. Now they're not exploited because they have the union. But they're not marching anymore. So for whatever the reason, they're invoking Larry Kerwin's cover and Black 47's cover of Phil Oaks's I Ain't Marching Anymore from the Bleecker Street Greenwich Village compilation. To the Battle of New Orleans At the end of the early British War The young land started growing The young blood started flowing But I ain't marching anymore I've killed my share of Indians In a thousand different fights I was there at the little big horn I heard many men lying I saw many more dying but I ain't a-marching anymore It's always the old 
to the war It's always the young to fall Now look at what we've won With our saber and a gun Tell me is it worth it all I stole California from the Mexican man I fought in the bloody civil war Here I even killed my brother So many others But I ain't marching anymore For I marched to the battles of the German trench In a war that was about to end all wars Oh, I must have killed a million men But now they want me back again I ain't marching anymore It's always the rich lead us to the war It's always the poor to fall Now look at what we've won With a saber and a gun Tell me is it worth it all For I flew the final mission In the Japanese sky Set off our mighty mushroom roar When I saw the cities burning I knew that I was learning That I ain't marching anymore Hey! When they close the Air Force Base Fidel's still kicking on the Cuban shore Call it peace or call it treason Call it love or call it reason But I ain't marching anymore No, I ain't marching anymore He ain't a marching anymore That's Larry Kerwin Covering Phil Oaks's classic folk song from the 60s making it a little more than folk and the 1999 release Bleecker Street Greenwich Fields in the 60s where a subsequent generation of folk musicians rock musicians folk rock or in that case uh, rockers like Larry Kerwin and Black 47 each picked a song from the folk revival and amped it up for a new generation you heard that on Headlines of Baselines, WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio, 103.5 FM, Washington, New Haven, independent.org. We're looking at local headlines from the independent and elsewhere and songs that go with it. Now, sometimes a headline will seem like it's obvious it has to be a big deal, like the thing with the marriage licenses or someone wins an election or unfortunately there's a war. And this headline like this one that's deceptively seeming mundane but it's a big deal like the graduate one downtown right aid to close okay stores open to close right but truth is right aid is closing a lot of those drugstores in cities around the country second one in new haven recent years though when it was on route 34 where we badly redesigned a whole development project at a median strip just to get that store there and it in that trend you know in cities where we used to have a lot of stores kreskis and woolworth things like that Sometimes to get basics in a city, you go to what's called the drugstore. It's really a pharmacy, which is really you get basics. You get your milk there often if you live in a city. You definitely get your diapers if you have kids, nail polish, medicine, stockings, hairspray, some of your food besides the... It's an, it's an important store. The Rite Aid there, you know, a lot of people were... It's near a place where there are a lot of people struggling with addiction who hang out. and we, 
that was part of the issue, I think, there. They said there. But it's also part of the national retail trends. And I'm wondering what's going to fill the gap next in New Haven for people to get basics. You still have, you do have a, a large pharmacy, uh, Walgreens at York and Martin Luther King Boulevard. But, you know, even some of the, the CVS that was near the Rite Aid that closed in the Whaley Edgewood, uh, Dwight neighborhood closed. You know, these, these stories matter to people. It also matters to the workers. Tom Breen has an excellent story about it. And he talked to Tyree, to both the customers and the workers. Tyree Caesar is a 25-year-old New Haven native. And he goes to Gateway, which is that block. It's right across the street there. So he was able to work at that Rite Aid for four years. And he told John, Tom it was sad to see it go. He'd, uh... He enjoyed working there. He's grateful for skills he picked up. He learned how to handle money as a cashier, how to deal with customers, how to stock the shelves. He also said the store had become, according to Tom's reporting, a more noticeably difficult place to work since the pandemic. People weren't stealing as much when he started. He said after COVID, there was more theft. But there are other jobs around. And not everything's always a sob story for people. It does matter where we shop, where you're going to work. But right now, unemployment's at historic low. And he's thinking of getting jobs at Tweed New Haven Airport or the Amazon Warehouse in North Haven. The latter one might not be the greatest place to work, but it is a job. And um, hopefully we'll get a union there. And, uh, but, you know, Marie Knight understood when she covered Gary Davis songs in her, her tribute to him, the album uh, Let Us Get Together, that even in retail, even in retail, death don't have no mercy. Stay long 
you look in the bed and the family will be gone. Death goes to any family in this land. Never, never, never takes a vacation in this land. No, he never takes a vacation in this land. You look in the bed And your mother is gone Death never takes a vacation In this land Death don't have no mercy. And if you ever had any doubt that it does, 
Hearing that rendition by Marine Knight should put any doubts to rest. That was from her album of Reverend Gary Davis songs reinterpreted. I was a uh, gospel singer during Soul Singer. This was a second, it was a revival of her career. And Larry Campbell, the guitarist, set the stage there by taking the Gary Davis finger picking style, it was acoustic ragtime, was kind of steady, upbeat, turning it into something much darker with the electric guitar and special effects and going deeper on the bass notes to set the stage like you're in a graveyard late at night. And then Mary Knight belts it out from her soul as though death is lurking around every grainstone, every darkened corner. Then when she takes the break and Kim Harris picks up the harmonica, all the spirits were flying. Who knows where? And death did not have any mercy. Here on Headlines and Baselines, WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio, 103.5M, live streamed. And New Haven Independent.org headlines from the New Haven Independent. Here's one that got my goat, a true crime headline, the true crime headline of the week. Yale's tree cutting golf course. Renovation plans okayed by Nora Grace Flood. Actually, you could, another headlight could have been Yale kills a thousand trees. Yale's taking down a thousand to fifteen hundred mature trees on two hundred acres of its fairways and tees at the golf course in Upper Westville. But just think about that. That's mass murder. And they say they're replanting trees and shrubs, who by the time our grandchildren are growing up might start looking a little bit like what they tore down. And maybe reviving some of the ecosystem they're destroying. There's already flooding in that neighborhood. That's a, you know, it's not complete open space golf courses. They do destroy important wetlands and open spaces, but they are such sponges and important parts of our ecosystem, the underwater system where different kinds of plant life communicate through the um, mushroom and the, the fungi and just the beauty of it and the shade. I just can't believe they got away with it. Yale New Haven Hospital. Hmm. You know what gets me? It's, it's a liberal university, right? They uh, they claim they care about climate change. I mean, this is an easy one. Some of the climate change stuff is tough. Turns out, you know, these wind farms that there were billions of dollars planned to build in the East Coast are not happening. It's not because anyone's being evil. It's kind of tough to make it happen sometimes. And stuff doesn't work out the way you think. Or they're byproducts to create the lithium parts or others that become part of the electric vehicles or battery-operated grids and create their own pollution and you got to make it work right you know not it's not always heroes or villains but this is straight out villain this straight out they want to have a place to look a certain way for when a few other people playing golf and destroy the environment around them if you can't do that with climate change i don't want to hear any other than noise of what you're talking about or carbon offsets or whatever else so at least for yale and new haven climate change as bob dylan might say is at the very least, tangled up in blue. Early one morning the sun was shining. I was laying in bed. Wondering if she'd change it all if her hair was still red. Her folks, they set our lives together. Sure was gonna be rough They never did like mama's homemade dress Papa's bank book wasn't big enough And I was standing on the side of the road Rain falling on my shoes Heading out for the east coast Lord knows I paid some dues Getting through 
We always did feel the same. We just saw from a different point of view. Like Yale says, they care about climate change, get millions and millions of dollars for research and institutes, and then they just go whack down a 1,000 mature trees or 1,500 at their golf course. Hmm. That's Bob Dylan from his seminal album, Blood on the Tracks, Tangled Up in Blue, and Mother Blue Yale. That's where climate change is tangled up. In New Haven right now, headlines and baselines, 103.5M live stream, newhavenupin.org, this is WNHH. New Haven's home for community radio. Here's another headline. State Representative Juan Candelaria named president-elect of the National Hispanic Caucus of State Legislators. Uh, Juan represents the 95th district in New Haven. It's a diverse district. He's been a state legislator 20 years. He doesn't always make headlines like that. He's a team player. He's a long-distance runner. You know, People say they dump on people like me in politics for too long. But there's another tradition of people who kind of do the hard work and they don't always call attention to themselves. They and try to just make good legislation happen and advocate for constituents. And I think Juan's been a part of that as a team of his party in the legislature trying to get good legislation passed. He did stuff, everything from like women's menstrual products, trying to get the taxes off of that to caring about what happens with immigrants like we talked about lately to rallying everyone for aid for Puerto Rico after the hurricane. He also, to stay in that long, so he'll have, he gets a perspective of how his constituency changes and how government responds to that. I think that's a good role for him at the National Hispanic State, State, Caucus State Legislators. First of all, bring some of that home. Fastest growing group in America is Latinos, fastest growing voting population. And as I'm sure he knows better than anyone, you can't make assumptions. You know, Hispanics, like any other group, have many communities within its community who have very different values, voting patterns. And it was a myth to say that just because they're not white, they always vote Democrat, right? We see more and more that the Hispanic votes can be split between Democrats and Republicans. There's always an assumption, people like me made, that Donald Trump can't get a Latino vote, given how he dumps on immigrants and calls a Hispanic judge who rolls against them, uh, horrible names. But the values represented by his party dovetail and often to where many Latino voters are, and it's getting about half and half. You know, it's that with, uh, you know, Juan Calera is a proud Democrat and stands up for progressive issues. And it was interesting, he was co-sponsor for the bill to not use the word Latinx in official government documents. And that happened in some other states too. That was one of those times when Juan did make some national uh, press coverage. I think that was one of those dividing line issues because it's often the culture war, right? Where there might be a sense that sort of stuff's being forced on people to change 
their cultures or values, whether that's accurate or not, or unfairly portrayed or not. Latinx was seen as an elite, often white university concept, as well as activist and left-wing, including left-wing Latinos, Latinos uh, pressing that change. And there was a real backlash to that among Latino voters, and that became the kind of issue that peeled voters away from Democrats. And again, long discussion about whether it's fair, accurate or not to say which party really cares about working people and when they kind of sell them out. I think they both kind of do often have fake rhetoric, but Juan was on top of where those trends goes and he'll be more on top of that as it goes forward. And part of that's about when you grow up and then when you get older as an adult and you're doing the same work over time, stuff gets more complicated. It's so much simpler when you're younger, who's good, who's bad, how you fix a problem. And Bob Dylan sang about that in a song that was covered in that Greenwich Village 1999 album I was telling you about where a new generation um, reinterpreted rockers' old folk songs. And one of Dylan's classic songs is My Back Pages that talks about that. As the way you get older, you don't know as much as you think you know. I can attest to that in a big way. So Marshall Crenshaw did a Birds-like version of my Back Pages in that 1999 album, and here it is.
good and bad. I had to find these terms so clear, no doubt, somehow. Ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. Bob Dylan wrote that. Marshall Crenshaw just sang that in my back pages. It's about how people as we age, including Juan Canelario, who's now got a big national post, Hispanic legislators, see the f fine grain points of issues and their, how they evolve, and how people are complicated, and life is complicated, and it's good to listen. Here's another headline of the week. Mohammed Hafez installs eternal cities at the Yale Peabody Museum. It's a great story. Peabody Museum, a regional attraction, important institution. It's been closed for four years. It's reopening. Everybody knows the dinosaur skeletons that are the main piece everyone talks about. They've been updated. And there's going to be a new important part there that Mohammed Hafez, who's a Syrian-American artist who lives in New Haven, architect that he put together with people called Eternal Cities. It's described as 3D printed replicas of ancient Babylonian artifacts bridging the millennia between ancient Mesopotamia and present-day Syria, collaboration between educational architectural museums and local artists from that region. At the crux of it, Hafez says, it solves a problem of engaging people in a very short attention span times, getting more interest built into these objects beyond just looking at them in a glass vitrine. Going back to what we talked about earlier, welcoming immigrants to the community. He's a great example. He came here from Syria, terrible civil war there, hundreds of thousands of people displaced, murdered by their own, Dictator, but no one seems to care about that because it wasn't Jews who were doing it. Just throwing that in, gassing an entire village. Hafez came to New Haven. He's become such a great part of our city. You know, he's part of that artist collective there in Westville. He opened two pistachio cafes, and his artwork is world renowned. And it's going to enrich one of our core institutions the way we have a great history in our city and traditions, and they become richer when they're added to by people welcomed into New Haven. Yarma Kokonin, whose own father was, I believe, an immigrant from Scandinavia, wrote about how people, brave, strong people, come seeking a better life from the land of heroes and become our own heroes. He called an album The Land of Heroes. And here's the title track of that, singing about his father and immigration. <laughs> This country came hundred years ago in hopes that all their children would be free. And in their time they lived and died, kept their hopes wrapped up inside, till their dreams found themselves in me. Now I'm sitting on the crossroads, looking down the line, wondering which old highway calls my name. While I pause, my wondrous blood moves me on my way. My destiny is still a living dream. Young man in the 60s, I anything could be. The world had opened, flower and wild and free. First in flame, played the game, almost tried to go insane. Build a simple path right out to me. Now, 
Destiny is still a living dream for wanderers who have wanderers' blood, like Irma Kokona's father in that song, leaving their native lands for a better life, often ending up here and making our lives better in the process. It's Land of Heroes, his 1995 album and the title song. One more song I'd like, uh, one more headline I'd like, a pair of headlines on a story the Independent Broker has been carrying this week with Jake Dressler and Laura Gillespie and Tom Breen. Hundreds rally for Palestine. Menorah climbing denounces anti-Semitic desecration. What happens this weekend, you know, every weekend there's a big march for people who are rallying for Palestinian freedom and uh, to stop Israel's response, oh, you know, massive bombardment and response to the October 7th attacks by Hamas and devastating Gaza and uprooting now millions of people and destroying lives. Controversial times, big marches, they take place in different cities in Connecticut. This week, hundreds came to New Haven. And Jake Dressler was there. He writes for The Independent sometimes that he got a video of a guy, one of the protesters, in a cafe climbing the menorah on the green and planting a Palestinian flag. Some of the people around him felt demonstrators realized that's not going to look good because this is a period now where everyone's trying to pick a viral moment, quick clip out of context of anything one says like a university president who's set up to sound like they're supporting genocide even though they never would and then they lose their jobs. In this case, Jake's video did go viral and um, his fellow demonstrators said the guy in the menorah is going to look bad. Don't do this. It's going to look bad. They quickly got it down but the video captured it. So then... Leaders of Jewish community and some politicians had a, him saying, we denounce this anti-Semitic. We, we speak out against hateful acts. It's obviously not a hate crime, but it's, you know, something that, my opinion is a revelation about how it's true that anti-Zionism does not philosophically mean the same thing as anti-Semitism. But so often it does in practice, I believe, when people are focusing on Jews as Jews and being against Jews. And Hanukkah is about Jews. And this was about desecrating a Jewish symbol I don't, you know, I don't think Jewish people feel strongly about it as do like when other religions, sometimes you desecrate a symbol, that means death in response. But, you know, it was not the biggest thing that's happened in this. As I said, people on both sides, I believe, try to take viral moments to 
encapsulate thousands of years of history and bit of rivalry and injustice and distill them into Vatican views of evil one side, all right, and the other. But beyond that, obviously, I'm hoping with all our traditions and all our viral moments and all our holidays like Hanukkah, we interpret them to find a path out of the violence, out of the hatred, toward love and reconciliation and peace, which is hard fought and hard won. It's not a Hallmark card that you just print. And part of it, I do believe, is a choice of how we interpret history and stories and traditions because we can always find reasons to feel scared of other people or to hate other people or to carry legitimate grudges and sometimes the illegitimate ones. And how do we interpret Hanukkah, which is a history that could be, a holiday's history could be used to justify violence and taking over the people or it could be justified as seeing the light in each other's eyes of people who are all representing all facets of humanity and we are here with a common purpose to love each other and live in peace and Mark Cohn I played this last week too he took the classic Hanukkah song we sing every night as we light the menorah because we're in Hanukkah now Mautzor translated as a rock of ages in English not exact translation but and he took that interpretation my opinion for that loving peaceful light interpretation so let's hear Mark Cohen's version with the prayer that we get through this horrible time and toward a more loving time. Jazz, let our song praise your saving power. Thou midst the raging foes, you were our sheltering tower, our sheltering tower. saving power Thou midst the raging force You were our sheltering tower Our sheltering tower Strength fails. 
wanderers Whether free, whether free or fettered Wake the echoes Wake the echoes of the song Where you may be scattered Where you may be scattered Hope we'll see all people free and tyrants disappearing is Paul Bass. Thanks for listening to Headlines and Baseline. That's Mark Cohn, Rock of Ages, getting in the zone. Thanks to Harry Droz on the controls. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly with us free all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home at 103.5 FM. La, 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 la.